So there's things that I'm willing to consider like learning or being open to far more now than I would have. And had I not gone through that, I think I would have continued to live on a life that, you know, the path was fine, but I can truly say that my life really is better for having gone what I went through. and welcome to Mighty Talks Podcast. I'm Leslie, and here at Mighty Talks, we're dedicated to providing an outlet, support system, resources, and education to all those suffering from some sort of prolonged physical or emotional pain. Mighty Talks will allow you to bring power back to your life by optimizing overall health and wellness. We are here to live our best life together. No more excuses, no more hiding, and no more suffering. We're here to finally take control, advocate, and allow you to achieve your greatest desires. So join along in conversation, and if you like what you hear, please hit the like and follow button. Hi everybody, this is Leslie, and here with us today we have Dr. Nicoletta, or Nikki, Kolovis. She is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics and an Intensivist in the Pediatric ICU at St. Louis Children's Hospital at Washington University in St. Louis. So she essentially takes care of some of the sickest of kids. She has a beautiful daughter, Nina, and is married to her husband, Doug, who is also a physician as well. She is a Pittsburgh native, but currently has resided in St. Louis for many, many years. Nikki is also an avid runner, having completed numerous New York City marathons, a Chicago marathon, and other various full and half marathons. And I am so excited to have her here today. We worked together for over seven years in the PICU, and I haven't seen her in such a long time. So I am so looking forward to reconnecting with her today. Her tenacity, intellect, and beauty are just awe-inspiring, and she has an amazing story to share with you today. I cannot imagine a more empowering, influential woman to be chatting with today, and her life hurdles, health scares, powerful devotion, and incredible will are sure to touch and motivate you today. So please again, join me in welcoming Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hey, how are you? <laughs> good. How are you? Good. Good. How have Don't you been? Mind. I've been okay. Don't mind if you hear something in the background. I'm sitting in my basement, um, <laughs> and um, you know, I'm washing clothes at the same time. So uh, if you hear the little alarm go off, don't be alarmed. So absolutely, I have a little okay. bird in outside of our house, so it's totally okay. fine. Uh-huh. How have you been? I've been really good. How about you? I've been great. Great. Good. I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'm happy to be here. I know. So I know you have so much to share, but I thought we would start with what brought you to St. Louis? How did you guys come from Pittsburgh, if I remember right, and land here in St. Louis, Missouri? Yes. Um, so we actually um, came to St. Louis through Michigan. Ah. So I grew up about 40 miles north of Pittsburgh in a town called mm-hmm. Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And I did undergrad and med school in Pittsburgh. And then um, 
I ended up, my husband, who was a year ahead of me in medical school, matched in Michigan the year before I finished medical school. So I ended up in Michigan um, for six years. So I did residency and fellowship in Ann Arbor. And then we finished, we basically made sure we finished at the same time. And St. Louis was the place that had jobs for us. And so we pretty much didn't know anyone except for the people that had hired us. Mm, yes. And um, our initial plan was uh, five years. We said, oh, we'll try it out for five years, see how it goes. And, you know, almost 18 years later, here we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually how, how, you know, there was nothing ever, um, th- it was never really the right time to go. There was never really the right opportunity. And so um, I don't know if we'll stay here long-term, um, but for now, here we are, and it's it's been good. For the most part, it's been really good to us. Awesome. And did you meet Doug, your husband, in medical school? I did. Was... I did. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, I'm sure that's a lot of how a lot of physicians meet their spouses is through medical school or residency. You're yes. stuck studying, and there they are. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and how's Nina been, your daughter? She's good. She's 12, and... Um, she is finishing up the seventh grade this year, wow. which is um, crazy because I just, it doesn't seem like all that long ago she was little and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, she's almost taller than me now, which is also um, interesting to see her sort of evolve into a young woman. Um, it's fun to watch. It's just, it's how it's supposed to go, but it's very interesting. It's weird. So yeah. yes, yes. So, and, <laughs> and we just got a puppy. So um, I saw that. Yes, that was also um, part of the pandemic. We, uh, Nina had really started last year saying she wanted a dog. And I said, you know, there were a million reasons why we couldn't get a dog. And um, now all those reasons went away because someone's home, um, you know, and why shouldn't we get a dog? So we got a dog about six weeks ago and she's awesome. Uh, But, you know, it's it's like having a newborn. It is. I think, I think you're one of many families to adopt in this quarantine from, from what I've heard, but it's great for all those, those animals though. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how how has work been? I know a lot of people listening, uh, know you and know that you're a physician at St. Louis Children's in the pediatric ICU, Mm -hmm. but kind of, I guess, talk about what you do and, and your hours and how work has been in this quarantine, all of that. So, um, yeah, so I'm a pediatric ICU physician. And um, so, you know, my weeks are either really busy or not. And so how our service currently runs is we do a week on service at a time. So if I'm on service covering, you know, we now have 40 beds um, in two units. And if I, you know, there's two attendings on and essentially those days start around 630 and you take care of all the patients, do all the notes, do all the things, and then usually sign out between 4.30 and 5.30. So those are pretty long days. Um, and then we have a person that covers the night call. And so if I'm not on service, you know, there's weeks that I take call, um, you know, try to call or I end up taking call about once a week, you know, so, and, and that's pretty busy too. So we, you know, if you're on call, you go in at 4.30 take sign out. And then we only have one attending on at night for the pediatric ICU. There's a separate physician for the cardiac ICU. And so we, um, you know, you take all the admissions, you do anything that 
needs to be done overnight. And then the next morning you sign out. So we have started to stay in house mm -hmm. as of a few years ago, which was a sure. new challenge for us. I mean, when, back when you were in the picture, right. you didn't stay in house. And it's in the end, I think it's the right thing for the patients, but I didn't train in that setting. You know, many of the newer faculty trained in an era where there were in-house in-house faculty coverage. And I didn't think I would end up doing <laughs> it's that. It's a big again change. It's a huge change. So it's a big change. It's, you know, my husband has done in-house call for well over a decade. And so that was an ingrained part of our lives. But then to add my night call in was a little bit. Yeah. I was just I thinking say. that I, I don't know how so. you both handle what you all do. It's just, it's just insane. I know I've worked with Doug in the OR at Barnes as you know, me being with anesthesia, but I, yeah. I don't know how you guys do it. It's just, it's insane. I mean, good for you for being able to toggle so much. I don't do it well. <laughs> so yeah, we, um, we welcomed an au pair into our home this year. So as part of a cultural exchange program, uh, there's a young woman that, you know, essentially people that want to come from overseas to have either a year long or a little bit longer educational experience um, will live in your home and provide childcare while. Um, oh, that's awesome. Classes. So, so um, a young woman came from Germany last September and has been with us, you know, stayed with us. Um, and so it's been helpful to just that there's an adult in the house overnight. And then she did the, you know, sort of the day to day, take me into school, take her to activities. And then honestly, she's been so, such a great sport throughout the pandemic. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know that I could have done what she did at 21, much less be mm -hmm. stuck in the house all day. So I get it's a, a change for all of us. And I think, especially right. the kids, it's like, they're so used to going to school, having a routine. And, you know, now I find even my nieces are crying because they can't go to school. And it's like, who would have ever thought mm -hmm. we would, we would be living in such a thing like it is today. But I think it's made us all kind of appreciate what we did have and how flexible our lives really were. I, I think even in oh, medicine, it's kind of, I know my eyes have been completely changed as far as all of that goes, what we see at, at the hospital, but I'm sure for you guys as well. Yeah. I never would have met. I know them. it's, it's been absolutely yeah. insane, but did you always want to work in medicine? Yeah. Was that kind of always your thing? Yes. Yes. Um, and honestly, I don't know that I ever wanted to do anything else. And I don't know why. Um, I just, at some point I decided I wanted to be a doctor. And for the longest time, my parents thought I was <laughs> yeah. joking. So, um, you know, I went to undergrad, did pre-med and then late many years after my mom said, she goes, I, when you took the MCAT, I thought mm -hmm. you were joking. Said, no. <laughs> so I don't, I honestly don't, I didn't, always know if I wanted mm -hmm. to do pediatrics. Um, but that's, it seemed like that's the only thing I ever wanted to do. And like I said, I don't know why. Um, and so, um, you know, I did all the things in undergrad and I went to medical school and, you know, it's, uh, I don't know what ultimately made me decide on pediatrics. I was also considering um, obstetrics and gynecology. And, you know, I had a little flirtation mm -hmm. with plastic surgery, but uh, for various and sundry reasons, I thought, you know, pediatrics would be the right choice for me, um, especially, you know, I didn't really know about pediatric ICU then, but I had, you know, heard a few things and I thought that was pretty intriguing um, to deal with the sickest of the sick children. And um, 
so that's where I ended up landing during residency. And it's an amazing place. That's for sure. And I think, I think all of us that have worked in not only an ICU, but I think an ICU taking care of children is just, it's like, it's a different kind of bond. I think that everybody forms because you see, and you do so much. And I think as an ICU physician, it's an even different viewpoint, I would imagine as well. I mean, you've, You've been there for quite a while, so I know that you've seen and done many, many things that most people could never even think of. Yes, yes. And, you know, honestly, there were two, I would say a couple of big changes, you know, certainly after I had my own daughter, sort of the way you view that area really changed. Um, And uh, the, um, I'm sorry, one second, my daughter is actually, is (laughs) is that okay? Um, I'm on a call. What? Congratulations. Okay. (laughs) We'll celebrate as soon as. Okay. (laughs) So she's super excited. So um, she won an award. Awesome. And um, she there, I I don't understand all of it, but she's been, you know, hounding the mail and we got an email notification that she won. Um, some sort of award that is it's let's see it's presented annually to seventh grade students who show compassion look for the good in others and adhere to middle school that's a wonderful award so it's yeah so it's voted on by seventh grade faculty and advisors so i you know i think there's a number of children that receive that award so she got the award she was very excited and she came down she's like I want so good for her she should brag that's a wonderful thing yeah no it's and we are talking about her so so it's very appropriate for her to come yes so it was nice it was it was super fun so I was happy for her and ordinarily they do this during an assembly and you know obviously now there's no assembly for her you know it's and what, it's crazy. what is so anyway i'm super yeah happy what has her. she been up to while on quarantine is she still doing activities or they still have practice or is she pretty much isolated at home she's pretty much at home so she um thankfully her school has been from the beginning very active in doing online learning so they are in class pretty much starting around 9 to 2 30 every day and you know, she has time off for lunch and uh, she, I'm grateful because she is okay with that. You know, I, she pretty much shoes me out if, you know, if I try to walk in. So like when I found the email, I went upstairs. Like, I'm in class. <laughs> so, um, so she's actually, that format has worked well for her in spite of, you know, all of it. The one thing that she misses, you know, a great deal, she misses being in sure. school and she also misses swimming. She's a swimmer. And before all this, she was swimming four or five nights a week for wow. an hour and a half. And so that is um, now, you know, she doesn't do that right now. And it's, they have dry land exercises that the coach sends them, but it's not the same. And I'm not sure what's going to happen when she gets back in the pool this summer. But um, so she misses that. She rides a bike a little bit. Um, she's not as much of a runner, um, which hopefully someday <laughs> she will be. And um you know, but I think that's what sort of what she misses the most is the, is being yeah being here. active and I'm sure being around so, other people too is probably a hard part. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I know for, for you, you guys struggled a little bit having Nina, you had tried, I think for quite a while, if I remember right. And I know yeah. that you've gone through a lot of different things, but I'm sure that was quite a battle for you just to have her. And now you have this beautiful, healthy, awesome 
12 year old girl, but if you could talk right. a little bit about your infertility and just your, just having Nina and the troubles that you had with her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, it's interesting because at the time I never thought I'd see and ever be able to look Mm -hmm. back on it and say, you know, that's what it, it was just a stepping stone, but you know, at the time, so what happened was, is I really didn't start trying to have children until I was 35. Um, and so, you know, recognizing that, you know, at the time I didn't want to have children during training because it was too hard and, so anyway, I didn't really try, um, until, you know, my mid thirties and recognizing that that was a risk. And, um, I had a miscarriage. It took me a little while. Um, and then I had a miscarriage and then I got pregnant right away afterwards. And then I had another miscarriage. So basically I had two miscarriages in six months, which is hard. I think it's hard on, um, it's hard on a person. It's, you feel a little bit like, what you're supposed to do, you can't mm-hmm. even do, like your body's failed you. And it was, um, it was a tough time. And, you know, we got through it. And the, um, you know, now I can look back and say, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have what sure. I have now. Um, but, you know, at the time, it's really hard to see that. And so after I'd had the second miscarriage, I, you know, underwent a lot of testing, all of which was negative. And then, Ultimately, I needed Clomid mm-hmm. to get pregnant uh, the first time, and um, it was fine. I took it once. I got pregnant, and you know, then I had my own complications related to the pregnancy. But it was, um, you know, so that was sort of the piece that got me there. And it's certainly not easy. But you know, I my advice for anybody going through that now is that it will pass. And you know, twelve years later, it's not that I don't remember that pain, but it's, I can look back on it and say that it, it ended, you know, like it, I got, you know, it, it was hard at the time, but Mm -hmm. I got through it. And now you have a beautiful girl and it was, and she's just amazing from what I can, I follow on social media. (laughs) (laughs) She's pretty awesome. I'm biased, but I think she's pretty awesome. And it, it seemed like you just probably I know it had, and for us who worked with you and just saw what you went through, I know I was just completely amazed at how you handled adversity and challenges. And I mean, you definitely showed that it affected you, but you still, to me, just came off so strong and resilient, which I think is amazing. Um, You know, on on top of all of that, unfortunately, it was like that, that was just kind of the start of additional health issues. And (laughs) I know, you know, obviously there's many of us listening that know a little bit about your story. And um, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about being diagnosed with breast cancer, and I'm sure all of the emotion that came with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's interesting because in the pregnancy, you know, that was not easy. I mean, the one piece that I didn't really talk about, you know, is I had a car accident during the pregnancy with Nina um, and I couldn't drive for a big portion of that. And so even having her was, you know, a little bit tough. I, you know, having in thinking about planning for a second pregnancy, I had committed to an operation and, you know, would have to have a C-section and this, that, and the other. And I had decided that I'd wanted to try, we'd wanted to have a second Mm. child. And so, um, 
you know, we weren't all, you know, we weren't really going, you know, I didn't go the Clomid route just yet. But what had happened was, is that um, when I was nursing Nina, I found a little lump. And this was like a, a few months after I'd had her. And I thought, oh, you know, it's just one of those things. I didn't really, it didn't really bother me. And then right after I'd stopped, um, you know, the lump never really went away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw my OBGYN and I'd had it biopsied. And this was in February of 2009. And the biopsy was fine. I was like, okay, you know, everything's okay. And then we were sort of trying to have a baby. And I remember going back to my GYN's office and in all of it, I said, you know, just very casually mentioned that I said, oh, this lump came back. And like, he just had this look on his face. I was like, oh, maybe I should pay mm -hmm. attention. And so um, he said, are you worried about it? I said, no. I said, I think it's probably just nothing. And he said, well, why don't you get a biopsy? And I was like, really? And, uh, you know, so I had really wasn't all that worried about it. And when I was in the office, I'd asked him for a prescription for Clomid because I was sure. like, all right, you know, I'm ready to try. And then, um, you know, around the same time, my sister was pregnant and had a pretty significant pregnancy, pregnancy complication. So I thought, well, you know, I'll wait to, you know, take the Clomid. I'll get this lump taken out, you know, let my sister get through all her troubles, you know, so... Um, you know, so I could be present for that and be present for my family in that way. Right. And then, so I was like, fine, you know, I'll just get this lump taken out over, you know, over the holidays, you know, I'll have a little time, you know, a little downtime and it was really unexpected. So I went and this was a few days before Christmas, I went back and, um, you know, initially when they'd taken it out, there was nothing concerning. And then when they opened up this cyst, there was cancer inside of it. And to say that I was shocked was an understatement. It was really, you know, I get this phone call. I'm like, why would they be calling me, you know, a day later? Right. And um, it was really surprising and very unexpected. You know, at the time I'm thinking, you know, this was a nuisance and all of it, you know, in the blink of an eye, everything changes. Right. You have this young child and busy careers right. and it's like, oh, I thought we were just getting this lump removed and move on with our days and. Right. Right. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, at 40, I was, you know, with a two and a half year old daughter, I'm facing this diagnosis that I'm thinking, you know, how did this happen? I have no family history. Um, and you know, I, other than being older at the time of having my first, you know, my child, I didn't really have a lot of risk factors. Sure. And so it was surprising and it, you know, it involved a lot of changes very quickly, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what was next, how, you know, what surgeries I would need, what sort of treatments I would need. Um, I actually even went through emergency IVF in the hopes I could still possibly have a child later. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a whirlwind of information. And I never, I never in a million years imagined that that would have been my life at that day, you know, that year. I was thinking. Right. So it was surprising to say the least. I can't even imagine. I mean, you had your plates full to begin with and then you get right. that you're, you're 40 right. and you're like, I'm supposed to be in my prime. And exactly. And exactly. as far as treatment, I, I, if I remember right, I think you had some lumpectomies and ended up having bilateral mastectomies. 
and yes, and chemo, correct. I think as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was just a long, long uh, process. It was a bunch, right? And, right. And so what? I, no, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. You're fine, Nikki. Right. So, um, so what I wanted to do, um, you know, initially I thought I could be cleared with lumpectomy and radiation, and then I never got clear margins. Mm-hmm. So I made the decision to undergo bilateral mastectomies and then underwent chemotherapy after that. And then after I finished chemotherapy, you know, finished up my reconstruction and then started tamoxifen. Mm. Um, So that was the, that was the initial treatment plan. Wow. And did you get into like really hardcore running after that diagnosis or was that something that you kind of dabbled in before? I can't really remember. Yeah, I had dabbled a little in running. So um, during fellowship, so in high school, I ran a little track and not very well. And, <laughs> Me either. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I would, um, you know, I'd run a few races here and there. And then um, during fellowship, I, for my 30th birthday, decided I'm going to run a marathon. Um, so I trained for the Detroit Marathon in the year 2000. And um I ran that in October and then I turned around and trained for the Pittsburgh marathon in 2000. Wow. Um, so yes, so I've done, I did two and I thought I was done with them. Yeah, I did that. Um, you know, and then after that we started thinking about jobs and, you know, training. And so I would run a little, but not as much as I was doing then. And then, you know, we moved to St. Louis and, you know, trying to get your career started and all those things. So I would, I wouldn't say I was very consistent, um, and then after my first bout with cancer, I decided I wanted to run a marathon again. And I don't know why I was like, I just want to run a marathon. And so I started putting myself in the lottery for the New York city marathon. And at that time you could get a guaranteed entry if you didn't get a lottery entry after three trials. Oh. So, um, so I just kept doing that. I'm like, all right, one of these days I'll get in and I'll run a marathon again. And um, the the ironic end to that story is after I actually got a guaranteed entry and um, three days later I had a recurrence. Oh. <laughs> so that was sort of my sob story about how I actually got into the New York City Marathon. Mm. Um, it was like that. It was also completely unexpected. I was in for my regular surveillance appointment in December of um, 2013. And literally I was talking to my oncologist and he was examining my, my axillary area. And he said, have you felt this? And I said, felt what? Hmm. And you know, then it starts all over again. And I can't even describe the, you know, all of a sudden you feel like you're in free fall. Hmm. Like, how did this happen? What do I need to do again? And, so that was, um, you know, that was a lot tougher the second time around in terms of, you know, I was, you know, supposed to be low risk and early stage and I had done all the things I was supposed to do. And I was, I was all of a sudden you think I might not survive this. Right. And it's almost like you let down your guard and you start, mm-hmm. you know, doing the things that you've put off and you've wanted to do and then bam, it's like a lightning bolt again. And I'm sure just the, right. the emotion that you felt was absolutely profound. And how old was Nina on whenever you had your relapse? She was, she was six. six. A little so older. She, I, mm. Yeah. And she remembers. She didn't really remember the first time. I mean, she was very little. Mm. 
but you know, at six, she remembered some things. So it was a lot harder the second time, you know, the, the chemotherapy regimen was more intense. I had to do radiation. I ultimately had to have my ovaries out. So it was a lot tougher the second time Mm. for, you know, not just on me, but, you know, for our our family, for my daughter, it was, it was not easy. Sure. And I think if I remember when you first got diagnosed, you were medical director then, if I remember. And then I think you were doing a lot of office work, I would imagine during that time. That's correct. So when you relapsed, were you still director or was, I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. I was um, up until the time I started radiation and then I stepped Gotcha. I'm sure, I'm sure that whole period of time was just a blur. I, yeah, I I can't even, it certainly was. What, what do you think? I know anytime any of us go through a painful experience there, you know, you find release in something. Was there something that helped you get through particularly the relapse? Um, honestly, you know, I, I had started to run a little bit more after the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to exercise a little bit more the second time around. I felt like if I could get outside and walk or get on a bike, um, you know, a stationary bike, I would feel better. And so I was actually a little bit better about doing that. Um, I didn't really like to watch a lot of TV, sure. um, you know, cause things would just make me sad. And so if I could do something where I had to just focus in, um, you know, like running in the moment, it was much easier to, um, at least get through part of the day. And how long did it take for, after you had your relapse, how long did it take for you to kind of get back on a normal routine and, and start, I'm sure your body had to go through so many changes. How long after treatment did it take for you to kind of get back in your groove and and get back to doing what you love to do? Um, (laughs) Like, have I gotten there yet? No. um, So the, um, you know, that I started chemo in January of 2014. Mm -hmm. um, And that went through May. And then I did radiation through July. And then I started working again sort of mid July and started that's when I started taking call again. Mm-hmm. And then really I was starting, things were starting to get back to normal. And then, then in 2015, I realized I needed to get my ovaries out. So that happened in April of 2015. And then three weeks later I had a pretty overwhelming infection. Mm. So, you know, it took me a while to, really be okay after that. But I, what I think really got me through that particular period of time was just trying to exercise, sure. trying to run, trying to walk. Um, and I had made the commitment to do the New York city marathon in 2015. Mm. Um, so I just, when I left the hospital in May after the infection, I couldn't even run a mile. Sure. And I decided I'm going to do this one way or the other. And I, I don't know how I did it. I got a coach who wrote me a plan and I just did it. So. <laughs> I think so. if I, so I started CRNA school in August, 2014. And right. I still remember, I think we were in like the alcove of one of the, the two rooms that had those little, that little alcove computer mm-hmm. area. 
And I remember, I think it was in probably July 2014, where you had come up to me. And that's kind of when I was really hardcore into working out and being active. And I, I remember you saying something along the lines of like, you know, your body had undergone so many changes. And you were like, I, you know, I want to do all these things, but I can't, you know, I can't move my arm back to a certain degree, because I can't feel it. And things are restricted. And at that moment, I knew like I had said before, I think you had such a strong exterior that I think we all knew that you went through a very painful process, but you handled yourself so well. And I think in that moment, I realized the human behind you, you know, I mean, like you, along with so many other ICU physicians, I think we all think that you're like immortal and you have, you know, you, you just keep yourself so structured. And I think in that moment, for me, I realized, oh my gosh, like this has affected her and I'm sure every aspect of her life. And for me, I had, I think, gained a new sense of appreciation for you. Cause I had, you know, here you are taking care of just these sick, sick kids and you're dealing with your own battle on your own. And I know how hard it must have been for you to not only continue to do what you did, but to exercise and to do a marathon in 2015. It's just insane. Leslie, that's, that's so sweet of you to say. I mean, I still remember that conversation too. And, um, you know, it's, uh, again, I can say now, um, I wouldn't be where I am now and I wouldn't have done the things that I'm doing had I not gone through cancer. Mm-hmm. I, and it took me a very long time to get there. You know, it's uh, for a long, many years, I felt like how could, you know, my body had failed me. I did all the right things. I did all the treatments. I did everything that I was supposed to do and it came back. And, you know, would it, at some point I realized that, I can choose to try and feel better or not. Um, And because of that, I've done things that I would have never done as a, as a result, you know, I would have never started really running again had it not been for cancer. And I don't do it because I think it's going to protect me from it coming back. I do it because it makes me feel better and it makes me feel like I can still do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's other things in my life that I started doing because you know, I learned how to ski because I thought, why wait? Sure. You know, there's never going to be a good time. And so I decided I was going to learn how to ski at 41, <laughs> or 42. Um, you know, so there's things that I'm willing to consider like learning or being open to far more now than I would have. And had I not gone through that, I think I would have continued to live on a life that, you know, the path was fine, but I can truly say that my life really is better for having gone what I went through. And that's, it's just amazing. And I think, you know, your mental outlook is, is everything really. I mean, I think at, any point in time, we all go through challenges. And I think how we approach them and move on from them, I think 
defines the life that we live. And I wanted to have you here today because I know that not only have you gone through something, you know, many things that have been painful, but you've created this life that you're, you're proud of. And I, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of you and I, not many people can say that, you know, I, I think that's says wonders about your, your personality. Thank you. And do you have, I know you've run, you've ran quite, quite a few more races. I want to (laughs) say, do you have a favorite one that you, that you did that you, for whatever reason, just really like stuck with you? Oh, absolutely. The New York in 2015. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, you know, my family was there, like my family doesn't usually come to my races because it's, it's a lot, mm-hmm. uh, to, but they came in 2015 and, you know, Nina saw me cross the, cross the finish line, which was pretty awesome. Um, and I still have the video of her, you know, yelling for me as I was, as I was finishing, which was, it was by far one of the best days of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I never thought I would do that again. And to actually be able to do it was pretty awesome. And so that was by far my favorite. Uh, but they're all good in their own ways. Um, you know, there's a saying that you know, there's nothing in your life you can't figure out um, while you're running a marathon. And that's true. It's uh, many, many realizations about who you are come to you in the very depths of those races. So. Absolutely. What was that the race where Nina had yelled, nothing is impossible? Or was that? Yes, a- <laughs> that, that's the one. I still have it on my phone. I'll, it's She's amazing. So yeah, I'm sure just for you to experience that. And then also for her to see her mom yeah. do that as well. is just right. extremely powerful. Yes, it was fun. And they came to Chicago this year. That was the, oh, that's probably okay. my second favorite. So they were, they actually found me on the road. Um, and so Nina found me and gave me a big hug right towards the end, which helped push me through, which was really good. So you guys will have to do a marathon together when she's a little older. If she, yeah, <laughs> she's more of a sprinter, I think. Yeah. Um, she has, you know, we did girls on the run a couple of years and last year, I mean, I used to call it girls on the wine because it was, you know, Oh, I need to stop. Um, but she, uh, we did it last year and it was raining and there was a lot of whining and what she wants to do, <laughs> you know, she acts all like, Oh, I can't run anymore. And then right. She sprints towards the finish and leaves me in the dust. And last year she actually, we got separated. And so she had to find somebody with a cell phone to call me. And oh. um, so um, anyway, but she, she's a lot faster than she lets on. So she seems like it. She's got that like tall, lanky, mm-hmm petite frame. Yes. Yes. It's very much so. Do you have any upcoming races or plans? I did. I, I know it's um, hard with everything going on. Yeah, I am. Um, so I have this itch to do the world marathon majors. Oh, cool. Um, so, and that is New York, Chicago, Boston, wow. and London, London, Berlin, Tokyo. And I'd gotten a lottery entry into Berlin, which has since been canceled. Um, so, and then I was supposed to, I had this crazy idea that I was going to do Berlin, Chicago, New York this year. And Berlin is not going to happen. I, Chicago is not yet canceled, although they've given people, um, they've told people that they can defer the entry without, um, they can defer the entry 
and there's been nothing about New York yet. So I would be very surprised if there were big races this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to try to do some virtual races. It's not the same. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's disappointing. Um, you know, I think the thing that I miss that I really took for granted, um, before the pandemic was this idea that you could just be outside with people. Right. Um, this notion that, you know, you could hug people, you could just, that to me has been the, the hardest thing to accept. And the piece that I feel like is so far away from coming back. Like, I, I, I agree. can't imagine, I can't imagine running a race right now. I can't imagine being at a start waiting for, you know, to start mm-hmm. in a crowd of people. And so that to me is what I really took for granted. Um, and so hopefully that'll come back in a different way. I would be very surprised if there were any big races the rest of this year. I don't, I don't know if not only can it be done safely, I think it's probably not the right thing for the cities to try to organize those events. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's a lot of volunteers. It's a lot of um, police. It's a lot of organization. And I'm not sure that that's really where the resources should be when there's been so much this year. Right. But we'll Absolutely. See. And I guess a few, few more things just before we finish, I was thinking of asking is, do you have anybody that you admire or follow on social media or, or anything that inspires you to keep doing the things that you're doing? Uh, yes, actually. And I, I've been thinking about that. Um, the person that I, who I think inspires me a great deal is um, a football player by the name of Ryan Shazier. And he played, he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and had a terrible um, uh, fracture, vertebral fracture a couple of years ago and, you know, had spinal stabilization surgery. And I think many people thought he'd never walk again. And he somehow has managed to teach himself how to walk um, and is living an amazing life. And so he can no longer play football, but it really tries to inspire people to believe that they can do more. And, you know, it's just, he's, he is so joyful and grateful for his life. And I, you know, I, you know, he's an, and he's a normal person. Like, you know, he's got a family and he posts videos of himself playing with his kids. (laughs) And I'm sure, you know, he never thought that there would be a time that he thought he might not be able to. So I, I think he's a pretty amazing person. Sounds amazing. And then I guess one last final thing is, do you have any advice for those other people that are struggling with cancer or some chronic disease, illness, painful condition, since you're super mom, super doctor, super woman? Uh, (laughs) um, You know, I think the biggest piece of advice I give people is that it's, um, you know, I, I don't, I know it seems like I do things really well. I don't there's a lot of days that I'm, I swear I'm making it up as I go along. Um, and that's okay. It also took me a long time to realize that that's okay. Um, I think the best advice I can give to people is that you're here and finding a way to be joyful and to have 
your life with you, you know, being alive is always a good thing. It's, you know, sometimes I've been lucky in that I don't have a lot of pain related to any of my surgeries. I mean, I, as you know, we talked about, I have a little bit of um, decreased range of motion in my arm, but I don't have a lot of pain. Um, and so what I always encourage people is if you can move, that makes things better sure. if at all possible. Um, but again, the piece of um, that I wouldn't be where I am had I not gone through all of that. And I, it's, it's true. It, there, there are things that are vastly better about my life and believing that if, you know, anyone is, ha- is struggling, believing that there is something better to work for, because that's really what made the difference is that there, there was more, there's more left, um, in my life. It might not look the way that I planned, but it's certainly, and it's certainly a good life. Like for most days I'm, it's, it's good. And so trying to find a way to accept the fact that your life isn't going to be the way you planned. Um, it's okay. And that's the advice I would give is that, so what, so what? <laughs> exactly. I think that's, I think that's so powerful because life is never how we planned. Right. Right. I think if we accept that and and accept our new normal and knowing that we can power forward with the best that we have, that's what we have to do. Right. I mean, honestly, it's not like I don't worry. I mean, I think I worry every day Mm -hmm. about what happens if it comes back, how am I going to live my life? But it doesn't, it, that shouldn't define how one's life. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Nikki, for being here today. Thank you for the invitation. It was very sweet of you to reach out. Absolutely. I know uh, you've inspired me in many ways in the time that we've known. Mm -hmm. And I I think we all have a story to share. And I'm very appreciative that you shared your story today with us. Oh, thank you for offering. Thank you for asking. I do. I appreciate the invitation. And I admire you in many ways, too. I think this is what you're doing here is awesome. And I wish you the best. All right. Sounds great. Same to you, Nikki. Have a great day.